G'day, I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And you're listening to the Doctor Who Show, where for this in-between episode, Dave, in-between our main uh, flagship show, we're doing the Doctor Who Show presents fandom in the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Fandom last century. Yes. Oh, God. That's really scary. Fandom when we were boys. Fandom 30-odd years ago. (laughs) Yeah. So... (laughs) So this is just a little chat that we recorded when we were together in Sydney, and we're deciding to release. Rob, do you want to tell us just where we were and what the, what was happening to set the mood for this chat? Absolutely. Dave, we were, we were in your lovely, I, I can't even say hotel room, I'm going to say hotel suite. You had like a lounge room going on, you know, I didn't even get to see your bedroom. Uh, it was that large, and we uh, we'd just been recording earlier in the day with the new to who guys, some episodes for them and an episode for us, and we were uh, getting ready to go out for dinner again with the new to who guys and the flight through entirety guys and uh, James Selwood from Bonfinger, of course, and we thought, what will we do with this, you know, hour or two we've got to spare? And I cracked out the little. Uh, <laughs> snowball microphone i plonked it down and we just sat there on either side of the table and we just had a chat and we chatted about our fandom and how we came to it and things we did with uh local clubs and conventions we went to and even in your case running a convention which i found really interesting to hear obviously we'd got together in sydney the three well now i guess we can say the three still running australian podcasts um <laughs> oh don't count out those 42 to doomsday guys like nelly melba like john farnham they'll be back rest yeah. assured <laughs> hi mark um, hi rob yep hope you're well hope you're enjoying your vacation <laughs> uh yeah but you know we had we had you know us and the new to who and the flight through entirety guys there and, and and listeners we should say you know if you don't listen to those guys we, we do encourage you to they're really good podcasts really fun podcasts and really different to ours too that's something we mentioned on the night i think that you know we, we all have these podcasts but they don't compete i mean i don't think we really would compete anyway even if they were the same because we're not that kind of people but they are genuinely different podcasts yeah so we got together you know fans from literally different corners of you know a very large country and inevitably we start reminiscing and we start telling our war stories and you know, what we love about fandom and our opinions on different stories and doctors and mm. the gossip and everything. And so it just made sense to sit there and go, well, while it's just the two of us in the room, we've got some time to kill. Let's just turn the mic on and record the, these reminiscences, this this nostalgia. So, look, we warn you, listeners, it, it is very personal. It is completely unplanned. It is completely unscripted. It is just two fans sharing their memories and their stories from their time in fandom completely unplugged that's right and even the audio is a bit ropey on this one totally listenable very very listenable but uh just a little different to what you're probably hearing at the moment where we're talking now uh over skype yeah and maybe even a little bit more rambling than usual (laughs) i haven't heard it back (laughs) yet but like i say it is it is it is completely unscripted it is just a microphone being switched on as part of a conversation so i i really hope that if you're someone who was in australian fandom back in the 80s and the 90s particularly you will recognize some of these experiences that we talk about if you're a fan from another country like america or the uk or even new zealand maybe it'll show you how different our fandom was at that time compared to Mm. yours Mm. and if you're someone who wasn't part of fandom before and is just new well you might be a little bit surprised at just how we survived back in the day without all of this, you know, without DVDs and online streaming and eye viewing and and, um, podcasting and 
um, the internet. We didn't even have the internet. Yeah, yeah. We didn't yeah. even have DVDs. <laughs> this this conversation runs the gamut, you know, from where we're just getting into things to, to running conventions. And we even end up talking about fandom today and where things are at. You know, we're, we're, I, I, is it fair to say we're both sort of post-fandom? Even though we're doing a very fanish thing by doing this podcast, we're not really out there every weekend going to trivia nights and fandomy type things. Or, or dressing up and, and going to mm. events and all that stuff. No. So we, we are in a different stage of our fandom evolution, I think it's fair to say. And so, again, we're being very indulgent in reflecting upon current fandom. Some people may not like what we what we think about current, current fandom. Some people might think that we're just a couple of, you know, old fuddy-duddies that just don't know what's hip anymore. And perhaps we are. I never thought I'd be that guy, Dave. Well, I used to think that, you know, I knew what it was and now they've changed it and I find what it is now scary. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah, but no, in all seriousness, it is it is very, very personal. It's our opinions, it's our views, it's our memories. I think some will resonate with some people, some will not resonate with some people. Some people might find us, as I say, a little bit um, wrong. But they're our memories, they're our thoughts, and we invite you to share them and listen to us. And here they are. So here we are, Dave, room 202, <laughs> in a uh, hotel in Sydney. Uh, yes, a very nice hotel in Sydney. Yes, we're sitting opposite each other at a, uh, a lovely glass table. I'd like one of these in my home, I think. Yeah, this is a very well-finished room. I'm a little <laughs> bit jealous. Maybe we can take some of this stuff. Yeah, but not the potted plant. That's a bit, bit terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listeners, you'll have heard us uh, chatting already in person on other editions of the podcast. This is just something we thought we'd record as a little, a little extra, an Easter egg almost. Uh, yeah, so we're not sure how we're going to use this, but if you're hearing this, we've used it for something. <laughs> and what we thought we might talk about is something that we sometimes allude to and sometimes tell little stories about, uh, but never really get into in any great detail, and that's how we came into fandom in the first place, Doctor Who fandom, that is. Uh, yeah, and some of our times there, um, I think the conventions is something I really want to mm. bring up. We've had a couple of chats off mic about some of those. Who wants to go first, Dave? Uh, it's your home city, Rob, so uh, you get to go first. <laughs> I thought you were going to say age before beauty. <laughs> I would never do that. So I I had been watching Doctor Who as a very young kid in the 70s. Um, as I was telling the boys at lunchtime, used to run away from the theme music. But by about the mid-80s, I could hold my own against the theme music. And I was watching... Uh, and then it was around 86, I bought Doctor Who magazine for the first time. And that's when I think I became a fan, but hadn't really entered, I guess, fandom. Because in those days, there was no internet. There was nothing of that nature to really correspond with other fans. I guess unless you had a pen pal or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, kids back in the olden days, people used to write letters to each other. and <laughs> They'd be pen pals. But there was none of that. And uh, it was in 1987. It was one of the first days of high school. I was catching the bus home, uh, but before I caught the bus, I dropped into the local library to see if they had any Doctor Who books, and they did. They had some I wanted. They didn't have some, but they were they were available at other branches of the library, so I ordered them in. While I was at the desk ordering in a copy of The Five Doctors, another boy from another high school came up to me and said, did, did I hear correctly? Were you just ordering The Five Doctors? I'm like, yes. And he said, oh, great, because he had a local Doctor Who fan club. He said, my name's Mark. I run the local Doctor Who fan club. Um, let's talk. And so we did. And I, I, 
I thought it was a bit weird at the time. Like, oh, there's there's a fan club and we meet at this guy's house. And is, does this really go on? Looking back, all of that stuff does seem really strange, doesn't it? It does, because he was explaining it to me. Like, yeah, we meet at my place and, you know, we have some cordial and we watch old episodes on video. And I, I kind of like the sound of it, but it did sound weird. Mm. And I said, okay... Uh, let's do this and then for many months he would call me and say there's a meeting on and I'd have some excuse not to go because I was a little a little put off and a little worried about it I guess I was only I was not yet 12 years old at the time I mm. turned 12 in May of 87 so yeah I was, I was still like 11 you know which is really young when you look back on it and he might have been about 15 or 16 which seems incredibly old when you're 11 yeah you know uh, but eventually I went to his house and it wasn't weird at all. He, in fact, had a, his parents, I should say, had a house on an acreage and it had sort of a, uh, a little shack out the back where all of us in the club could go and hang out in this little wooden shack. <laughs> it had electricity and stuff, but it was fairly bare bones. We'd watch old episodes and such. And that's, that's how I got into my initial fan club experience. Now, should I stop there and maybe hand over to you to sort of tell the start of your story? So I discovered Doctor Who on my father's knee, as I've said many times before. My father was a fan. He saw the very first episode go out when he was living in London in, in 1963. And so it was just a thing that Doctor Who would be on. Uh, he worked a lot of shifts, so he got a VCR very early on when VCRs were still pretty new. And he would record Doctor Who episodes that he missed because he was working a shift. So from a very early age, Doctor Who was on and also on tape. Uh, he also was buying the Target novels. So again... They were, they, were, they were just something I was around. Mm. Uh, now, although I've learned to love sport as an adult, as a kid, if you're not very good at sport, you don't enjoy sport. And I wasn't very good at sport. Yeah. So whereas a lot of fathers and sons would have like something sporty or something to bond over, we didn't. So Doctor Who became that. Mm-hmm. And he discovered in 1987, same year actually, that there was a local Doctor Who club, the Doctor Who Club of Victoria, and signed us both up and we went along to meeting. So the very first meeting was in July of 87. Uh, it was at a, uh, the Melbourne Rowing Hall, Richmond Rowing Hall, I think it was. And so it was a venue and we, we, we met people and they showed some videos and um, we met some other fans. And after that, a number of the meetings were again, yeah, at somebody's house. Mm-hmm. So you'd go along to somebody's house and usually they were maybe uni student age or young, maybe a bit younger. Usually it wasn't their house. Usually there was a mum out the back you know, mm. doing something. Mm. Uh, and, and I can remember those first few meetings really vividly. I saw stuff like the Aztecs, uh, the War Machines, um, the War Games, uh, you know, stuff that just was completely unheard of, really terrible quality copies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they had that. They also had, and I got into this in a big way, an audio department where they had bootleg copies of audios from a whole heap of not just missing stories but but missing stories mm. and also other 60s and 70s stories that weren't available on VHS so even though we weren't necessarily doing that tape swapping at that stage that came later you could borrow from the club audio cassettes of The Reign of Terror The Abominable Snowman The Dalek The Invasion all of these stories and uh, I would just go through every month when they'd have a meeting I'd borrow three or four stories mm. take them home make copies for myself listen to them and, and, and did that for a number of years. And, you know, looking back, you, you just can't describe how exciting it yeah. was 
to have a scratchy audio copy <laughs> of Marco Polo yeah. or Evil of the Daleks. Mm. And when I say scratchy, some of them were pretty good qualities. Yeah. Some of them like it was that sort of calling, <laughs> and you'd be sitting there listening to it, going, "What's going on?" And there was no narration, so you yeah. get these big, long, empty pauses of actors doing stuff. You had no idea what. If you'd at least read the target novel, you kind of had a narrative in your story going, "So this is kind of what's going on." But that was it. So yeah, that was very exciting. That were the first few years. Yeah, for me. Now, was when you were going to people's houses, there was that like a smaller local offshoot of the bigger club? Because for me, when I was going to people's houses, it was the small local club. And the main club, which in Sydney was the Australasian Doctor Who fan club, we always met at Sydney Uni, for example. No, this was the main club. Wow. So there would be house meetings in between, and maybe every six months or so, there'd be a bigger meeting with a hire a venue. Mm-hmm. Um, after about 89, 90-ish, it became more regular to hire venues. They were able to find really just ordinary venues sometimes like um, a local kindergarten where someone was on the committee and could get you the, yeah. the venue so you were sitting on kindergarten seats watching something <laughs> I remember watching the Tomb of the Cybermen when it first came out packed in a room with other fans on kindergarten seats watching this thing so this wasn't bad for you you were, you were small at I that time I was at least small I think for some of the adults it was for shocking the adults, yeah. uh, once we started to get more members who were members of uh, the local university union we were able to get the union hall mm-hmm. or rooms there for, for for you know no money, so that became a more regular thing. But yeah, it was it was really you know nickel and dime stuff. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I guess I was luckier in that sense that we were meeting at Sydney Uni, which was a pretty good venue. Yeah, um, this is when the local club would say, okay, there's there's a big meeting on of the Australasian Doctor Who fan club. Let's go into that. They used to call them parties. Um, and I do remember one of our local club members, her mother rang my mother in a tears saying, should I bake a cake for this party? <laughs> and my mother, who, who by, by that stage was well-versed in these things, said, no, no, it's not that kind of party. That's just what they call these, these gatherings of fans. And that was good because you had lecture theatres with um, the tiered seating and there were um, monitors around the hall. You know, horrible old big television sets now when I look back. Not flat screen things at all, but actual big boxes hanging from the ceilings. It's lucky they didn't fall on someone's head. Um, And we would watch videos, you know, bootleg videos there as well of all sorts of things. And the quality of the 60s episodes was was usually not so great. Sometimes it was okay because they got them from the U.S., which had been screening them on PBS, right. and they had converted them from the NTSC to the to the um, what do we call our tapes? Pal, pal, pal. pal. that's right. <laughs> it's been a while now, and we would watch those there, and they they were quite good events because they'd have people selling things in sort of a huckster's room, and it's almost like a mini convention just with no guests. Although once in a while there would be guests. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and it's it's again amazing how much of those meetings was just watching tapes mm. usually when we got the more professional venues or the bigger venues they'll make a big deal of it and have a longer day con and and show a lot of the tapes particularly the older stuff mm. i can remember one you know dedicated video day where they had the daleks and the invasion were two of the big things that were hooking you in yeah uh, there was another one they had a cyber day and they played 10th planet moon base uh two and four wheel in space one and three the other thing of course wasn't just that they were showing the old 60s stuff they were showing the McCoy era. Yes. So I can remember being probably my second or third meeting where they showed Time on the Rani Part 1. Mm-hmm. 
So I could remember being in a room with a whole lot of fans. This was not going to be on in Australia for a couple of years, we expected. That's right, yeah. There, there was a big delay at that stage between the UK and Australia. So to see it not long after it came out in the UK, the, the regeneration of McCoy's first episode. So I could actually remember vividly all these fans with massive anticipation and suddenly the line, leave the girl, it's the man I want. And everyone's just going, oh my God, what is this? <laughs> it was not a good thing. But but Dragonfire, I remember seeing a couple of months later at a yeah. meeting. And again, everybody crowded into somebody's living room, watching Dragonfire on a small little household television. I can remember uh, Silver Nemesis and Greatest Show being shown mm-hmm. at, 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 at club meetings. I think I saw the Happiness Patrol for the first time at a club meeting. I can vividly remember the meeting where we showed season 26, yeah. uh, particularly Battlefield. I know Battlefield comes in for a bit of a knocking these days. I really like it. I think it's a good, fun story. Mm. It looked really impressive at the time. Like it, it actually felt like there was some money being spent on Doctor Who for a change yeah. uh, for a very long period. But there was there's that moment in there where you think the Brigadier's been killed. Mm. And so if you can imagine a room full of 70, 80, 90 fans all crammed in to a hall watching this video and suddenly, you know, the, the, the room's blown up and the doctor's doing his whole, you were supposed to die in bed. Yeah. And just this like, oh my God, like stunned, absolutely stunned silence. And then sort of, oh, he's okay. Yeah. But you hadn't been spoiled on that because there's no right. internet. That's right. I mean, I look back now at the fandom coverage, you know, in our newsletters of, well, this story is going to be called this, and we think it's going to be about this, and some of it's just so off. off. <laughs> there, yeah, there were no spoilers. You barely knew what the titles were going to be. I, I, we thought that Delvin the Bannerman was called Flight of the Shimmering, kind of until we saw it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it, it can't be understated here, watching these videos was so special because there weren't VHS copies of the old stuff at all no you know things were trickling out at a fairly slow rate like Revenge of the Cybermen came out in like 84 or something like that but there wasn't a a constant stream of Who videos until a bit later than this sort of period no this sort of period we're talking maybe three or four tapes like there was the edited copy of uh, Spearhead Day Mm. of the Daleks Robots of Death I think there might have been Brain and Morbius Brain and Morbius the edited copy of Brain and Morbius was out yeah yeah like a 60 minute version (laughs) yeah yeah and it was only sort of about 91, 92 I think when they started to release more of them like the Daleks came out Dalek Invasion of Earth um, and a few others and then as the 90s went on they ramped up more and more but we're we're not there yet no so seeing this old stuff you know which I'll concentrate on for for this first half here seeing this old stuff was incredible if you weren't a fan and in these special groups you just didn't see this. There was no way to see it. You could read about it in books. You could read the Target novels. But you just couldn't access it in any way, really. And we were also at a point where a lot of material was starting to come back. The the, the trickle of missing episodes coming back was a lot more constant. Mm. Um, a lot of the low-hanging fruit had come back in the early 80s, but there was still stuff coming back. So I could remember the Ice Warriors being returned. And if you wanted to see that, I mean, that, that wasn't released on VHS for years after its return. Yeah. So you needed to see a, a very bad bootleg copy. Tomb of the Cybermen, when that came out, I mean, that, you know, that was front page news in the fanzine. And again, if you wanted to see it early, rather than waiting for the Australian VHS release, mm-hmm. you had to go to a meeting. And I can remember a meeting where, as I said, dozens of fans crammed into a kindergarten hall on kindergarten seats watching the Tomb of the Cybermen. <laughs> Um, and and that's, a, that's a thing that we'll come back to a, a number of times. You know, you, you, if you wanted to see this stuff early, you had to get it out that way. Um, Sharda. Mm. You know, when that was released in 94, we saw that months before it came out in Australia. 
and the only way to see it was was again on um uh, on, on a video import and that went right through when we get to the telly movie I'll, I'll tell the story about that but it's a very similar story even in 96 it is and and the second half is the the new stuff that we were seeing again just no way to get it unless you knew someone who knew someone in the uk who was recording this australian tv was was well behind at least a year if not longer we got lucky with i think remembrance remembrance was the one that was rushed out we saw that at the end of the broadcast of season 24 mm. which which was actually a bit of a relief for a lot of fans you'd watch season 24 and go this is not very good okay dragon fire it's gonna be better and then we went straight into remembrance of the daleks which was a, a, a good thing also also to give a bit of context a lot of the 70s stuff as we've talked about before was being continually repeated in australia um you know, I can remember the Pertwee years and the early times being released, repeated very early in 80, 83, 84, 85. So I saw a lot of them. Um, some of them in black and white, like the Silurians and um, everything in black and white. Invasion of the Dinosaurs, where they just didn't show part one. Yeah. And they just opened with part two. And you just go, okay, well, this is cool. They've started the story, you know, yeah. with the Doctor already right. Fair enough. I, I thought for many years Invasion of the Dinosaurs was a five-part story. <laughs> TV just didn't give a crap in yeah. those days. Um and so they were regular repeats in that 6 to 6.30 slot. It usually paired up with the goodies or mm. um, Yes, Prime Minister or something like that. Yeah. By the time the McCoy era was coming out, though, the ABC was looking on Doctor Who less favourably. Yeah. And that was put out at 5.30 as part of a magazine show called The Afternoon Show That's in right. Australia. Which was a very, you know, after-school sort of show. It was hosted by a sort of a somebody who may have done a bit of DJing or something on one of the ABC's radio networks. So it wasn't really a bit, a bit of a star, but someone who was, you know, look, he's going to be a star of the future. He's done some DJing. Let's give him some TV work, see how he works out. Now, people like James Valentine, Michael Tarn, those yeah. people. Yeah. And, it, and it was a magazine. It was, a, it was a early teens magazine show. Mm. They would have little segments in there as well, and they'll also show stuff like uh, Degrassi Junior High, Press Game. And the Mysterious Cities of Gold, The Ghosts of Motley Hall, yeah. and Doctor Who. So Doctor Who was very much lumped in with uh, Teenage Fair at that stage. It wasn't family viewing when the McCoy era came out. That's right. And these segments didn't go for very long because what they were trying to do was fill in the five minutes that the 25-minute you know, episode didn't fill of the half-hour slot. So you'd have a 25-minute episode, then maybe five minutes of James Valentine doing something. Yeah, doing a movie review or a, a competition or something. Or... A trivia show. Or a trivia which show. Which brings us to one of your highlights of your time in fandom, Rob. My, my crowning glory in fandom, Dave. I peaked early. At the, <laughs> at the age of 13, I I got selected by Dallas Jones from the Australian Doctor Who fan club to go into the ABC studios and be part of a Doctor Who quiz. And there were a few instalments of this quiz, because obviously the afternoon show segments were, were fairly short, so they did a few rounds of this quiz before episodes of Remembrance of the Daleks went out. So my memory is that they did four rounds, yes, and the winner from each went on to the Friday, onto the Friday episode as a final or something like that. Or there were three rounds and the fourth episode of Remembrance was the final. Something or like that. Something yeah. like that. Because there were multiple rounds. For example, my friend Harvey certainly wasn't in my round, and I never had a, a contest against him because we both got knocked out in our respective rounds he was up against Kate Orman for example yeah and I can actually remember watching that as a viewer it's it wow. stuck in the memory because it was so amateurly done like <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> not by the not by the contestants who clearly were taking this very seriously but it was really clear that the host of the show had not watched these stories at mm. all 
um, there was I can remember one moment when um, he said what was the name of the resis in the story Paradise Towers and somebody said oh Tilda and Tabby and James Valentine said, ah, oh, that's actually incorrect. It's Tilda and Tibby. Mm. And the other contestants had to go, no, no, James, he's right. And <laughs> you're wrong, he's right. Uh, and they also, I just, and I don't know why they're stuck in the memory, maybe because it's such a bastard move, but they had a round in each, or a question or something in each round, where they showed a picture of a character and said, who's the character? Yes. And they showed a picture of Anthony Ainley and said, who is it? And somebody buzzed in and said, it's the master. And they said, oh, no, that's incorrect. And then Dallas Jones buzzed in and said, it's chameleon disguised as the master. <laughs> and I remember even at you know, the age of like eight or something going, what a bastard move. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, were, we were disappointed when we went in. They actually did two versions of this quiz. They did one the following year where they used, they had a, a, a show, I'm pretty sure a quiz show called The Oz Game. Yes, I remember the Oz Game. And they used the set from the Oz Game for that second quiz. But for the quiz I was on, we used squeaky toys as our buzzers. Oh, Do you remember that's that? Right, yeah. So it'd be like picture of the brigadier, who is this man? What is his rank? <laughs> you know, and we were holding up squeaky toys and squeaking them. And it was it was a bit of a mess. But hey, I was on TV. I was dressed as Davo. You know, that's pretty cool. And, and yeah, other sketches as well over the years were also Doctor Who themed. There was one where they had a competition which was assuming the TARDIS could sh- change shape from a police box, what would it be? Mm. And I can remember that quite well, not only because of some of the interesting ideas that came in, like you know, there was a wheelie bin and a telephone box and that sort of thing, but because when they were doing the final, James Valentine kind of gave this exasperated, look Doctor Who fans... I know the chameleon circuit is stuck. We're just having a competition, guys. It's a bit of fun. (laughs) Clearly having just been inundated with, you know, letters from sad Doctor Who fans going, you can't do this, the chameleon. (laughs) And in those days, it took a lot of effort to protest because you had to write it in a letter and get a stamp and post it. You couldn't just email or tweet someone. Because these things did not exist. Yeah, that, that, that's right. That's right. So yeah, that that was that was how Doctor Who was by by that stage. It was part of it, as I say, a, a, a young young adults magazine show. Yeah. On at five thirty. The next thing I probably want to talk about is start to talk about actually meeting actors and going to bigger events. Mm-hmm. So in nineteen ninety, I think it was. No, sorry, it was ninety one because it was it, it was the official launch of uh, the Ice Warriors in Australia. The return. I went to my first convention, mm-hmm. which was called Enlightenment. Uh, it was run by a number of people, including Mark from the late lamented 42 to Doomsday. Right. And they had three guests. Now, this is, this is, this is the level that Who Phantom was in in Australia. And I'm not dissing the guest, but we had Robert Jewell, yeah. who played a Dalek in a Zabi in a Macra. He did. Dudley Simpson, who did yes. the music. And Alexandra Tynan, who did costume design in the 60s, including designing the first couple of Cybermen. That's right. This was huge. Yeah, of course. Big, big deal. Like people who'd actually like met the doctor and done stuff. <laughs> the fact that they weren't like you know doctors or companions, you know, who cares? Yeah. And I still have incredibly fond memories of that con. Yes. Because those guests were just so excited to be there for two days talking about their wares. So Alexandra Tiny you know, brought in all the old designs she talked about. Here's the original concept for the Cyberman, and here's another one, and mm-hmm. all of that sort of stuff. And other costumes she did. She talked about being in the room when Hartner regenerated into Troughton because wow. she was a costume designer on the Tenth Planet. Yeah. So when it's like, ah, oh, Mr. Mr. Hartner needs a hat, we need to get him a hat. She had to go in, you know, right? Get him his hat, you know, make sure his cloak's sitting right. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that was her job. Yeah. So wow. she could talk about that. 
Uh, Robert Jewell was the guy who was inside the Dalek costume, both in the Dalek Invasion of Earth and the movie, who gets to come out of the water. Nice. So he was able to talk about, you know, there he was in his undies, you know, in a Dalek, they had to push him back in and pull him back out and all that sort of thing. I think he was the Dalek that gets thrown in the water in the chase. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he, he didn't speak very well at all of either Bernard Cribbins or Roy Carson. We oh. thought they were both idiots. Dear, I did. <laughs> and he, he, he was like, he was a retired gentleman by then. So yeah. he was very much like, that nah, Roy Castle, he was an idiot. You know, <laughs> didn't get on with him. Um, he talked about being inside a Zabi and how they made all the Zabi costumes to fit him because he was the largest actor. Mm-hmm. But in the process of making the fiberglass, whatever it was, it, it, it tricks. Mm. So there he is with like, you know, a Zabi abdomen sort of <laughs> digging into his stomach, <laughs> trying to run around. Um, and then him being the macro when he's talking about like him sort of in a macro front with claws yeah. on the back of a ute being sort of driven back and <laughs> forward as the, as the macro. You know, really, really insightful stuff. And yeah. I, I told this story um, in an episode a few months ago with Dudley Simpson. Yes. Where he would come in with a piece of television with no music. Mm-hmm. He'd then talk about what he would do to create the music in his thought process, then played it with the music. So you could see what he did. And, and even just one time when they were setting up stage for, for to, later at the convention, they are trying to get him on stage and everything. And he's sort of sitting there, you know, everyone's running around him. So he just started playing the Blake Seven theme on the keyboard. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so really, really fun. And I think, you know, they just walked around and, and chatted with people. And there were lots of fans there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, really, really fond memories of those early conventions. My first guest experiences came from 88. Uh, early in the year, at just some regular parties at, the, uh, at Sydney Uni, we had Katie Manning. Wow. Because she was living in Australia yes, at the time. She was yes. living in Sydney, so she was a very easy get. We also had... Dudley Simpson, because <laughs> yep. he was, well, he is Australian, um, was Australian, I should say, and uh, was also living in Sydney, so another pretty easy get, and similar experiences to you there, but later in that year, we had Console 88, which was a proper, proper convention, and at this, we had Katie Manning again, <laughs> we had Kevin Manser, who was a Dalek, Right. He was another Dalek. Seems ex-Dalek operators moved to Australia for some reason. I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> and, and can I just say, for years, particularly as a, as a kid and a teenager, any time somebody would say, oh, John Scott Martin was the definitive Dalek, I'd go, no, Robert Jewell was better. <laughs> I'd, I'd say Kevin Manser, because he, right. he signed one of my Target novels. <laughs> likewise, it, likewise. It's actually yeah. signed Kevin Dalek, in quotation marks, Manser. Yeah, I think Robert Jewell's is very similar. I have to check my copy of The Chase, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and we also had Mark Strickson and Julie Brennan. Yes, we had them in a day event as well. Who, who uh, were living in the country at the time too. So this was a big deal. And by this stage, I had progressed in fandom to, well, to be asked on to the afternoon show uh, that year and also to be asked to be on the staff for this convention as security. I mean, I'm 13 years old. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty big guy, but I was still 13 years old. Yeah. How, how am I going to secure anything? You know, what if someone goes nuts, how am I going to stop them? I found it bizarre. But that was my title. That's what I did. I was checking people's tickets at doors and things like that. But it also let me be in the green room with all the other guests and I remember Katie Manning for example being really friendly and and lovely to everybody and you know just eating crisps out of a bowl with us and Mm. just chatting and my friend Harvey again Harvey who was on the Doctor Who show with me he was there too in this in this room and he was he was a bit of an artist and there was a whiteboard and he was sketching things on the whiteboard doing little cartoons and Katie Manning thought he was wonderful 
And even at the time, as a 13-year-old, I sat back and thought, this is weird. Like, Joe Grant is praising my friend's cartooning. And sitting over there is Turlo. And that's Binliner or Fire Escape. Fire Escape. Fire Escape, whoever the hell she was. Yeah, from Paradise Towers. And, oh, I I was overwhelmed. I thought it was just the most amazing thing in the world. Yeah, so I was eight when I met Mark Strickland. Mm. And, yeah, it just... It didn't quite compute that the character was the actor who was here in the room with me. Yeah. Really weird, but but really, really great guest. I just need to make a, a side comment when you mentioned security because I can remember a couple of cons we did in Victoria where overnight you had to secure the venue because you'd have you know, people that had their tables out and the hall was set up a particular way and you couldn't just sort of leave it all. Mm. So we needed someone to do security and a guy that we know by the name of Craig approached us and said, look, I will guard your convention overnight. I'll do laps. I'll stay awake. I'll do the whole thing in return for a free ticket. Mm-hmm. So this guy, in return for a free ticket to the, the con, was happy to stay awake like for about seventy hours in a row. <laughs> and he just he did he just patrol the convention, secured it overnight, made sure nothing went missing, and he did it in return for a free ticket. That's the level of professionalism <laughs> that, that we were dealing with. Yeah, it's you know when you think of conventions today, or even conventions that came later mm. in Australia. These were, I don't want to say amateur hour because that, that's disparaging, mm. but they were very grassroots. Am- amateur in the Olympic sense of the word. Am- very good. <laughs> very good. Um, because, you know, and, and, and they didn't always work. Um, the next convention that I would have gone to, or I did go to in Melbourne, was in 1993. It was called Survival. Mm-hmm. And it was advertised as having Sophie Aldred. Mm-hmm. Sophie didn't turn up. Oh, now, to this day, I'll be careful what I say on a, on a podcast, but sure. I, I don't think that there was ever a genuine intent from the start to con the fans, but I think the problem was that a, a guy, just a well-meaning fan, said, I'm going to put together a con, I'm going to get Sophie Aldred out, and suddenly he's having to book venues and book flights and do, do tickets and make it all work, and it just got too hard. Mm. And in the end, he couldn't say, I'm cancelling the con either because he, he ego wouldn't let him or he was in too deep financially whatever yeah. he just had to sort of do the con and as people arrived he said look um, sorry Sophie isn't here um, you can either leave and I'll process a refund later or you can come in and, and be at the con and a lot of people were like well I'm here now yeah. um, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the con there were people who flew down from Sydney for it um, I first met someone like Dallas Jones at that con right now that was actually an incredibly fun weekend mm. Um, it's just a shame that we paid a lot of money to do it. Mm. But it was one of those cases of where you just get a huge number of fans in a room and you can just chat and do panels. Um, you know, they, they had a karaoke of um, Tongue Tied for right. Red Dwarf, which was big at the time. Yeah. So they, they did that. Um, yeah, they showed some older videos. They had long chats, you know, long panels. One of the freakiest things was the goodies had just released the first ever VHS tape of three episodes. Right. And someone had a copy, and late on the Saturday night, they said, "Oh, look, we're not doing anything. Do you want to put on, the, you know, the goodies? I've got Kid and Kong. It's you know really cool." And I'm like, yeah, I remember the goodies. Put it on. Until you've seen eighty people singing along to the goodies theme, yeah, you just haven't appreciated the love for that show. But wow, that wasn't. As I say, if we weren't paying like seventy, eighty dollars for the privilege, yeah, it would have been an amazing weekend. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a case of a con not working. 
Yeah, that's 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 really sad. Changing tack though, you mentioned putting on panels and stuff. Obviously, fans making content. Yes. I remember doing a lot of this, and I know this is a big thing at say uh, Gallifrey One and such in the states. They'll they'll do panels there and so on. I can recall back in the day doing a Who Done It. Uh, we got into one of these lecture theatres, and this was actually scripted by Kate Orman. Wow. Who was just this is Kate Orman before she had a single novel published. So this is this is the Kate Orman who was writing for fanzines and was very big in fandom and very well known because every fanzine you opened had a Kate Orman story in it. I mean, what great days. I mean, Kate Orman just tossing out stories left and right in yep, fanzines. Writing, writing letters into the letters page because there were no bulletin boards. No. So there'd be three or four pages of letters pages where people would post, write a letter saying, here's my opinion on something. Two months later, someone would post it in the reply to get printed. And these, these I can remember some of these debates going for literally months. Yeah. Because there's only an instalment every two, two months. That's right. That's right. So th- this is pre, uh, pre-novel Kate. She, she scripted this whodunit. I played Andrew Cartmel. <laughs> and, and the conceit was I was the invisible man. Because at this point, no one knew what Andrew Cartmel looked like. Yes. We knew that there was a new script editor called Andrew Cartmel. That's all we knew. I, I can remember in a, in a cartoon in um, the local fanzine, he was actually always portrayed as like a little school kid with, a, with, with you know, those haps with the little whirly twi- um, yeah. things on the top? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in our play, he was the... Oh, I should say I was the Invisible Man. And I was literally done up in a great coat and a Panama hat. And my face was bandaged. I had sunglasses on. I looked the business. Yeah. And other members from our club were playing different roles. Um, we had a guy in our club called Chris. Um, he wanted to be a stuntman. And he was quite into stunts. And he was very inspired by Sylvester McCoy and his pratfalls and, and that sort of physical comedy and and such and I remember at one point in this whodunit he actually rolled down a flight of stairs in the middle of the lecture theatre and I don't know how he didn't break his his, his damn ribs doing it mm. you know but this is the kind of stuff we were doing um, my friend Richard played an alcoholic Tom Baker in this same whodunit and, and basically someone had been murdered and we all sat up the front and answered questions from the audience as was they had, they had to guess who, who had done it you know and I remember that being immensely fun too that sort of fan we, we were acting, we, we made fan films as well. Uh, I can remember making a couple of those in our local club. Just fans making content in a way that I think they still do, but maybe in a slightly different way these days. Maybe yeah. a more glitzy way these days. Yeah, we had a couple of who didn't stand in Victoria as well. And, oh. and the script was literally, the characters were literally decided by who wanted to have play someone and had a costume. Right. So like, your mum's made your Colin Baker costume, good, the six doctors in it. <laughs> Uh, you've got a Leela costume. Good, Leela's in it. Yeah. Um, you know, one one guy, Marco, wonderful guy. He said, "I'm going to drag up as Perry." So Perry was okay. in it. You know, excellent. Um, and and pink bikini. It was actually a pink bikini. <laughs> uh, and he, he he really threw himself in. It was really very funny. And yeah, the the way that this was set up was in between every segment. Uh, Tom Baker, played by my friend Richard would come on the television uh, basically doing Tom from the Charter DVD video that he came out. Right. So he'd come on and he'd be doing this this whole thing and he would say, I don't know, the, the, what you hadn't realised is that Adric had been in the Zero Room at the time. Think about that. Charter! <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, you had, you, you had a Richard doing Tom Baker. I had a Richard doing Tom Baker in ours. So that's, that's really weird. That weird. is weird, actually. But that sounds great. And that's the kind of stuff people were doing, which I remember really fondly. Yeah, our foot rallies were another big thing as well. Like just 
just social activities that happened to be being done by Doctor Who fans. Mm. But by the same token, particularly as we moved into that period where the show wasn't being made, there was a lot more member-driven content as well. So stuff like that, Games Days, um, you know, people who would make Doctor Who Trivial Pursuit. Uh, other people would make like completely designed from scratch Doctor Who board games yeah. that they'll just come and people would play. But also in the same way, like lots of people saying, hey, I haven't seen Trial of the Time Lord since it was aired once, you know, nine years ago. Mm. Can we just what, can we just put that on for a day and then all discuss it? So that was one of our biggest attended meetings. People just didn't, you know, they, they'd never seen Trial or they'd only seen it once six, seven, eight, nine years ago. Yeah, because again, these still weren't out on VHS. They weren't out on VHS, so they just came in and watched Trial from start to finish and would kind of compare it to, to the... Um, the fan reputation. And and fan reputation was really weird back then because you kind of would be were told from on high mm. the opinion of a season. So you were told that season seventeen was awful. Yeah. All of it, including City of Death. You know? <laughs> and and season seventeen was one of the few that was not repeated for a long time in Australia. And it was shown here about eighty, eighty one or something. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was repeated until they were doing that Saturday omnibus repeats. Mm-hmm. And even then it may not have been till after. So we're talking a long time into the nineties. Yeah. So nobody had seen season seventeen for a long time. The novels of season seventeen, let's face it, they're not from the best of the era. No. And City of Death wasn't novelized. Exactly. So when people said all of season seventeen is rubbish, including City of Death, who had evidence against that? Yeah. You didn't even have a novel to go, this This sounds kind of fun. Yeah. And the novel of Creature from the Pit is, you know, pretty pretty flat. Yeah. I, I, I don't try to hammer the point to our listeners, but it was such a different time compared to now where everything's on DVD and everything's accessible. And it's not that long ago that this was going on, really. No. So what interests me is the way that Doctor Who kind of vanished without us noticing. Mm. So there was never an announcement at the end of 89, Doctor Who will not be returning next season. It was, no. uh, Doctor Who will be coming back, there'll be another season. It won't be in exactly 12 months, because we're, we're going to retune it, we're going to find a new producer, you know, Janty's gone, uh, da, 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 da. McCoy will be back, I uh, don't know what Cartmel's doing. So there'll be a season 27 sometime. Yeah. Okay. And then in 1990, there wasn't a season. And in 91 there wasn't a season and then McCoy was released from his contract mm. and it was sort of, sort of slowly just became apparent that Doctor Who wasn't going to be made by the BBC and then it was oh look the BBC won't make it in house but in this new age of producer choice and everything we'll get an independent company to make it so who's going to be that is it Verity Lambert's company mm. that's going to do it is it something else and then there were rumours that a US company might buy and all of that going on there was never ever a moment of Doctor Who's not coming back it's just not coming back yet. Yeah, and I, I guess around 91, we had the um, the NAs starting as well. That's right. So all the targets had finished being written. Anything that was going to be written at that stage was written. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they started developing the new adventures, which again, for people inside of fandom, were, were, were new Doctor Who stories. Yeah. And, and I, I know we're going to explore this in another episode in a lot more depth, Rob, but yeah. again, when they announced, you know, here's the next five titles and authors and topics of a new adventure... That was treated like it was a TV show. Absolutely. So you go, oh, wow, Exodus by Terence Dix set in World War Two. Wow. Yeah. Or, oh, they're doing a, um, you know, Jim Lane, Mandy Mortimer, and they're bringing the Silurians back. Oh, wow. You know, and that was all you knew. But you, you treated that news the same way you treat news of upcoming titles and authors of the current series. Yeah. It was the same level of interest. Yeah, because nowadays with the, uh, the new series adventure novels, 
and the original audios that the, the BBC does, not to be confused with Big Finish, but the BBC original audios, these stories are almost looked over. They're, they're also Wrens. You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of fans don't read them at all, and many fans probably don't even know they exist. They're, they're, they're nothing. But yeah. back in the day, books were, oh my God, they were they were absolutely new stories. Yeah, they were the continuation of Doctor Who. Yes. As well as stuff like the Bill Baggs videos, so the Stranger series, for example. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, Summoned by Shadows, More Than a Messiah, which basically had Colin Baker playing an alien-type enigmatic character along with Nicola Bryant playing Miss Brown, <laughs> you know... <laughs> In, How in, they didn't in, get sued, I don't know. Yeah, it's just the right side, you know, and um, people like uh, Peter Miles would come in and play stuff. Um, yeah. uh, Michael Wisher would come in and he'd play a part. Then they started saying, well, if we can use these Doctor Who actors, let's do them in other stuff. So something like the Air Zone Solution, which is, look, it's an incredibly 1993 piece of television. Mm-hmm. Like, it just reeks of its era. But in that, you had Pertwee, Davison, Colin and McCoy yeah. uh, all playing characters I, mean, hmm. I think Colin was a weatherman Davo was an investigative journalist uh, Pertwee was a sort of a retired senior journo McCoy was like a sort of a protest anarchist sort of I don't know something and um, you know Nic- Nicola, Nicola played Colin's girlfriend hmm. there, was, there was a sex scene between Colin and Nicola like that, that just like wow you know blew Phantom apart like Colin and Nicola in bed on two you know what oh. that, that, that was our Doctor Who and then there were these rumours that the Americans are making a show. Mm. Do you remember, like, when you started to first hear about, like, that American thing that be- eventually became the telemovie? I do, because we actually were interviewing Kate Orman, again, for our, for our fanzine, our club fanzine, for the local club. Because I think, wasn't it Amblin Entertainment? Wasn't it Spielberg's company was involved Spielberg or something? Spielberg was originally involved, yeah. And when they say Spielberg was involved, it was his company and he may have walked past the room at some point that it was <laughs> yes. being discussed. Like, that's probably the level of his involvement. Yeah. Um, and it really was just, you know, you couldn't really identify the first moment that rumour started because there were so many rumours going on. Every month there'll be a different, oh, this company's going to do it and this is the doctor and mm. all sorts of bizarre stuff. And then at some point, like, I think when they cast Paul McGann and released publicity photos of Paul McGann in front of a TARDIS console, mm-hmm. you started to go, this is for real. Yeah. They're making a Doctor Who telly movie. Are you thinking of the McGann photo where he's not in costume in front of the console? Yeah, yeah. In a, in a che- it's like a flannel shirt or something. Yeah, with the, with the shaved head. Yes. Like a, like a close-cropped head, yeah. yeah. They hadn't worked out his costume, he didn't have his wig on, and they just sort of mocked up a kind of a crappy TARDIS console or something, and suddenly Paul McGann is the Doctor. Yeah. They're making a movie. Yeah, this was very weird. And it, and at this stage, I've got to say, I'd stepped away from fandom. I was, obviously, I'm a little older than you, so I was getting into, you know, my, my exams at school, heading towards the end of school, um, moving into university in the in the early 90s, learning to drive, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I'd by 96, I'd sort of gone beyond this. I was in my first job, my first year of my first job outside of um, university. And so I knew these things were happening, and I could see them happening, but I wasn't in fandom at the time. So you and I sort of have divergent experiences here. You're in the fan bubble, for want of a better word. I'm sort of outside of it at this point. Yeah, so I can remember vividly. I was, I was really probably the most involved in my fandom at that point over the next few years in the late 90s. 
as I was 16 and in year 10 when the telly movie came out. Mm. And at that stage, I was going to school in the city, living in the suburbs and commuting by train mm -hmm. into the city to go to school. So I had a lot more independence and freedom and, and all that sort of thing. By this stage, there was a, a guy who had a company called Madman. And what he would do is he would import tapes from other countries, right. which hadn't been done at that point. And these are legal tapes, we Yeah, should legal say. tapes, yeah. <laughs> so the BBC would release Doctor Who, um, The Sea Devils, on, yeah. on tape. It would be released in the UK in May. Mm -hmm. uh, it may not be released in Australia until six months later. Yeah. And usually they were quite inferior copies. Like the artwork wasn't nearly as well printed. Uh, the the, the, the um, video copying, you know, mass production wasn't as good quality. And that was six months later. So it was a big deal to get the tapes from the UK. And, you know, that's continued to this day in some ways with the DVD releases. The British ones have picture covers Yes. Uh, 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 picture discs, I should say, and and our local ones don't. Yeah, absolutely. So there, there was just a, they were a better quali quality product, and they were out often months earlier. Yeah. So this guy, um, Tim, was his name. He just had this company operating literally, literally operating out of a sort of a you know studio apartment somewhere in the city, mm -hmm. and he would import tapes of you know all sorts of stuff. Um, lots of series, lots of American series, British series. Was he uh, doing anime at that huge time? Huge amounts of anime. Because that's what they're best known for these yeah. days. And he's now actually a formal distributor of a lot of this sort of stuff. Yeah. Huge amounts of anime, um, a certain amount of, um, shall we say, adult material as well. <laughs> Hello. Um, he had to make his money. But he was he was really good at looking after the fans. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, you'd, you'd get a letter or he'd ring you up and go, hey, the next Doctor Who tapes due out next week. Do you want a copy? Yeah. And so you'd go to his place, you over the cash, you'd get a copy. He was obviously importing the video of the telly movie, which uh, some fans may remember. In the UK, I think it was the same night that it aired, the next morning it was in the shops on video. Mm. So, because it wasn't going to air in Australia for another few months, if you wanted to see it, you had to get a tape from the UK. Tim was the only one importing these. <laughs> wow. And, he, he, and so he would have basically every Doctor Who fan who was linked into him ringing him for several days that week going, um, when's the crater arriving? When's the crater arriving? <laughs> On the day that it came, I remember basically every like break in school, going to the pub, the one public phone in the school, putting in my 40 cents. Yeah. Uh, Hi, Tim, it, it's uh, David Kitchen here. Um, has the telly movie arrived yet? <laughs> oh, okay, no. And it didn't come in until about four, four o'clock. Yeah. I still remember it was the dead of winter here, like a cold, dark Melbourne winter. A Melbourne winter, very yeah, cold. Very cold, very dark, mm. um, you know, wrapped up. And again, going in after school to this guy's warehouse and then just seeing this queue of fans <laughs> coming out of it. Um, there were people in the queue that I knew, yeah. and, you know, we are just chatting. And literally, you walked in and there was him with a shipping crate, <laughs> literally just taking tapes out of this box. And handing them over to fans to watch. And it doesn't sound like this was showmanship. This was literally, he was just getting them out of the box. It was literally, the box had arrived, he'd opened it and like there were fans there to sell to. It was, it was, it was like that, and, you know, us all going home. Uh, as a club, we did a screening on the Saturday, which was, a, I think what I'm describing was on the Thursday, and then on the Saturday we had it. Uh, Richard, our president, had three copies being sent to him. One via Tim, um, another one that he ordered from someone else, and he had a friend who had taped it on video mm -hmm. and Express posted it from London so wow. basically he hoped that at least one copy would arrive by the day <laughs> of the meeting and again we came close to 200 fans in the lecture theatre yeah. watching this telly movie because that was the only way to watch it mm -hmm. or you waited until it screened on the ABC some months in the future Yeah, uh, I don't think at that stage it was scheduled no no it wouldn't have been 
No, it was treated incredibly differently back in those days. Nowadays, we get it straight away. Yeah, or there'll be a look, it's coming out on this date or whatever. This was just, look, the ABC will screen it when we get to it. Yeah. And you probably wouldn't find out the date until you got, um, you know, the... the, the um, well, the Green Guide in, in, in the case of Melbourne or whatever the, the yeah. publication was in the newspaper that did your weekly schedules and it was like, oh, look, on, on Saturday they show Doctor Who the Tilly movie. Like, that that was it. I mean, yeah. You didn't know. So, yeah, just this, this huge excitement around the Tilly movie. And then... And then <laughs> there was a real there was a real deflation. Yeah. Um, I can remember DWM who had just invested everything in the Tilly movie paying off literally doing an article like the next month with a sort of a so what now yeah. and I remember that article because the, the, the picture in it was like a picture of like you know overturned bottles and party streamers sort of faded out and you know yeah. drink. It, it was kind of this feeling of there's been this huge party and now we've kind of got the hangover and it's now kind of what, what happens now because exactly. it, it, was, it was known really quickly it wasn't going to series yeah. so there was a real feeling of well we've been waiting uh seven years for Doctor Who to come back mm-hmm. all that time we've kind of had rumours that something's going to happen it came back it didn't work yeah that's it like it had its chance it had its comeback yeah and it flopped Doctor Who's dead yeah very much so but it didn't kill fandom but it didn't kill <laughs> fandom and indeed my fandom actually got bigger from there yeah because 96 was my first interstate con right so this again just shows what this thing was like. The guys in Sydney, so your old club, the Doctor Who Club of Australia, and based in Sydney, yes, was running what well, Australasian fan club, Dave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we we claim New Zealand as well from Sydney. <laughs> the DWCA, <laughs> they ran a con called Whovention Three, mm. which got Liz Sladen as the guest. Yeah. Now, again, when we think of these cons now, where they have like a dozen guests who get half an hour each, they had Liz Sladen as the only guest. They went over a long weekend from the welcoming cocktail party on the Friday night through to early afternoon on Monday. Wow. <laughs> and a number of us got together and said, okay, let's send a group up from Victoria. This had happened a couple of cons before. Mm-hmm. Smaller groups had gone up. There was, I think, 10 of us that went up. We all booked uh, seats on the overnight XPT train <laughs> from Melbourne to Sydney where you'd basically go to Pizza Hut, fuel up on pizza, all you can eat pizza, 8 p.m., board a train right at about 8am the next morning oh. you would arrive in Sydney yes <laughs> um, and they were long long journeys and that was a fast train too the XPT yeah that was it, it only stopped at a few places yeah um, and I, I did that trip a few times in, in fandom and we'll, we'll talk about that I'm sure but yeah that was my first time like getting on the XPT an overnight train to Sydney yeah then you arrive you know we'll share a hotel suite and the con was run by local fans. Mm. So people like Dallas, like Todd Bilby, Neil Hogan, mm-hmm. um, people, some of whom I still know now. Yeah. Uh, some of whom are now doing podcasts like Flight for Entirety, for example. Yeah, exactly. Some of those guys were, were there at those cons. But yeah, it was one guest. It was run by fans. You paid a ticket price, which included all the event, three autographs every day. <laughs> every day? Every day. So every day you got three autographs. Um, and I think a photo as well. Mm. And photos weren't a big deal back then because it was all film cameras and everything. There were yeah. no selfies, no no quick hacking over a photo. You needed to sort of bring a camera, have film in it. Yeah. So photos weren't the big deal. I've, I've got photos, but not a lot, and certainly not formally taken ones. And when we say three three autographs, these are all just from Liz, are they? Yeah. 
Yeah, so you'd get like six Liz Slade autographs over the course of a weekend. Wow. For the cost of your entry ticket. Yep. Which blows me away now where I'm looking at the uh, Supernova Con in Melbourne in April. Yes. Where you pay your $60 entry, then another 100 if you want an autograph from Capaldi. Yes. Another 130 on top of that if you want a photo. Another 80 if you want an autograph from John Barrowman. Mm-hmm. Like, so you can cl- quickly rack up hundreds of dollars. Easily. And w- walk away with one autograph and one photo from each guest. That's it. Yeah. And yet we were paying like $80 and you'd walk away with, you know, a, usually a couple of video covers, a couple of Target novels. Um, I would always get my copy of Time Frame done so I could all my autographs in that. Yeah. But yeah, like really different. But again, so much time with Liz. So there are a couple of panels which were just like Q&A from the stage. Mm-hmm. Then there were the panels which would be, we'll show you a clip from each of your stories. Jog your memory, talk to us about that. And then there'll be the Q&A from the floor which you know would be really interesting there'll be banquets there'll be lots of fan done panels so this is where fans would get up and talk about basically what we do on podcasts yeah it was basically a live podcast yeah really interesting stuff there'd be video rooms and that was the first time I was really deeply immersed in that sort of fandom and in another city yes it was the first time I went to Sydney was for a Doctor Who con <laughs> no it's, it, it's it's awesome and I we were talking about this over lunch earlier, listeners. I really regret not being in fandom at this point. You know, I'd had my time away from it earlier in the 90s. By this stage, I should have been back in it, and I just didn't get back in. And I I really regret that Liz Sladen came to Sydney, and I didn't go. And now that I hear I could have got, like, nine autographs from her over the space of three days, I, um, I'm really disappointed. No, I'm being facetious. I, I, I just feel... That you know, when there are fan opportunities out there, maybe you should take them. You know, just in general, this is this is my experience now, based on on this sort of thing. Because you look back and you think that time's never coming around again. Ne- neither the guest, because she's unfortunately not with us anymore, or even just the vibe of the thing. You know, because times change. You're absolutely right. Like I can remember the last Doctor Who event that happened in Melbourne was a professional con where they had uh, Katie Manning, Matthew Waterhouse, Terence Dix. Um, and Gary Russell and maybe one other and and this was run by a company that were a little bit exploitative like they weren't you could kind of tell they're in it for the dollar not the, not the, not the mm. love and a few of my friends chose not to go because of that. they're like no no we, we get ripped off every time wow. it's not well put together it's not done for love we're, we're just not going to go and afterwards I said to them guys I got to shake T- Terence Dix's hand yeah I got to get an autograph from him I got to see him answer Q&A and you know really wonderfully and they, again, had the same regret of, we, we shouldn't have been cynical fans. We should mm. have gone. Yeah. Um, the big thing that for me, though, came out of Who Ventured 3, mm-hmm. apart from it meaning Liz Slater, Liz Slater, <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow. Was that a bunch of us who were at that stage in the club committee in, in Melbourne were kind of looking around that going, these guys are just like us. Mm. Like, these guys running the con aren't professionals in, in, in a... A corporate sense yeah. they're just fans yeah they have day jobs they have day jobs they're just they're just we could do this <laughs> yeah and 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 again Richard was our president at the time and he really took the lead like he he kind of put his life on hold for a year and ran this con and when you say Richard this is Richard you do the goodies podcast with you're doing the Blake 7 podcast with that Richard yeah been on 42 to Doomsday I've been on our podcast a few times certainly has yeah so he he kind of put his life on hold we all supported him the big thing was because in 93 there'd been an attempt to get Sophie altered out for a con and Sophie at that stage was like 
gold in Doctor Who fandom. Mm. There were the Doctors, maybe Nick Courtney. Yeah. Then there was Sophie. Yeah. Like Sophie was a big deal. Because she hadn't have materialised in 93, it was kind of like, right, we're going to be the ones to get Sophie. Mm. And we did. So, <laughs> again, I can remember sitting in meetings, booking halls. What 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 venue do we want to use and which, which parts do we want to use? Which airline do we fly Sophie out with? Mm. Literally sitting there going, look, we could save 500 bucks flying her with this cut price Indonesian airline, <laughs> but do we really put Sophie on a cut price Indonesian airline? But again, the deals you could do from Australia were really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, quite often, I know for some of the guests they got in Sydney, the deal was, look, we won't pay you a con fee, but we'll fly you out for free and we'll put you up for a week in Sydney and we'll, we'll basically give you the, the, the Sydney experience. Fans will take a week off work, we'll drive you around, we'll show you Sydney, we'll show you New South Wales, yeah, whatever. And, and you could kind of negotiate the fee from that. We did something very similar with Soph, where basically we paid for her honeymoon. Yeah. So we said, look, you can have a honeymoon in Australia, we'll pay for the airfares. What we said was we'll either pay for you business class or you and your husband economy. Mm-hmm. And they said, that's fine, we want to both come because it is a honeymoon. <laughs> and so they said, yeah, that economy is fine for two tickets. So we flew them both out. They then went off and kind of had their honeymoon up in Northern Australia for a couple of weeks. And then we paid for another week of a honeymoon in Melbourne. Mm. And the first weekend of that would be the con. Yeah. So again, we got around some of the cost by doing that that deal. And because Australia is such a great place to visit. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it really is. You know, Hey, do you want a free trip to Australia? Like, yeah. Yeah. That, that's worth, you know, foregoing your fee for for some actors. So yeah, we got, we got Sophie ordered out. But again, we were doing this with the most basic email yeah no one had a mobile phone <laughs> like literally no one had a mobile phone yeah so you know and we're, we're literally couriering stuff back and forth from people's houses if the guy wasn't in the room with you you couldn't contact them you know somebody somebody infamously forgot to pick up the con books oh no and there was literally someone was told you have 48 minutes to get through friday peak hour to the other side of the city to pick up the con book just do it. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Apparently it was the most hair-raising, you know, red light running <laughs> trip um, to get that. Um, you know, you're talking about, well, we've agreed to meet Sophie at Melbourne Airport at this time. Mm. And you kind of just go there and hope she arrives. Yeah. Um, if there's a convoy, you know, two people in a car and one car takes a wrong turn with Sophie in it, you've just <laughs> lost your guest. <laughs> you know, these things happened. And, and it really was just so wonderful. Yeah. So much fun. But... I just look back and go, how did we do this? Yeah. But again, we had Sophie for the whole weekend. She mingled with the guests. Again, you got, you know, two or three autographs a day for the t- each of the two days. Um, you know, phone opportunities. Long Q&A sessions. So, like, anybody who wanted to ask her a question got plenty of opportunity to ask a question. She did the celebrity auctioning. Mm-hmm. You know, just huge amounts of fun. Video room operating. We had, the, um, we had a kind of a, a entertainment night on the Friday night where we had, like... Um, Celebrity heads, blankety blanks, mm-hmm. um, all of those sort of fun party games that you could do. And Sophie took part, and yeah. her husband took part, and uh, all that sort of thing. Uh, you know, a banquet on the fr- on the Saturday night. Just lots of really fun things done by a bunch of students and a couple of people in the workforce. Yeah, just kind of putting their lives on hold for a year to get Sophie ordered to Melbourne for a weekend. Yeah, wow. Um, my, 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 I've got to tell the story though, and I can give you send you the clip. My father at the time, or well, for a long time, he was a meteorologist here in, in Melbourne. So he knew Edwin Ma, who was the ABC's weatherman. Mm-hmm. Um, the ABC obviously being a national network. 
And this guy had a bit, bit of a thing where he would often like have a different pointer to do the weather with and tell a story. So my dad rang him and said, hey, Edwin, you know, here's the weather for the, this week. By the way, on Friday, um, there's a Doctor Who convention running. Do you want to plug it? And Edwin said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that, but I need, I need a pointer. So we got a plastic sonic screwdriver. <laughs> and we said, can you, can, okay, we, we, you know, dad ran it over to him and everything. So he said, um, and I remember Edwin Ma got up and now the, now the weather with Edwin Ma. Hello, and you can see in my hand I've got a sonic screwdriver. Um, there's a Doctor Who convention on, on on Friday, and I'll give you the details shortly, but um, apparently the Doctor uses this to get into things, so let's get into the weather. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he gave the weather, and he said, so the Doctor Who Club will be having a, a convention at Moorabbin Town, or well, it wasn't Town Hall, but Edmund, you know, whatever yeah. the venue was, and da-da-da, if you want to see it. And then he said, now I wonder what this button does. And pressed it, and then they faded him out. Because <laughs> the weather's all done with CSO. Yeah, yeah, So they yeah. did the CSO fade out. Oh, nice. So yeah, really, really fun. Just little details like that. The beach later on tonight. But there's a big gathering actually at the Edmund Barton Convention Centre in Moorabbin, not far from where we are. And it's the Doctor Who Society of Victoria. Would you believe there's so many of them there? They have this enormous convention and they sent me a sonic screwdriver, which apparently the Doctor used to use to get into things. Well... Let's get into the weather. They made one stipulation and they said, don't send us up or something nasty will happen to you before the end of the weather. Now, for the bays, a northerly wind to 20. I haven't sent this up, have I? Waves to one and a half metres. Tuesday, there is something here that they did say, Edwin, don't touch. Now, this is like 20 years ago. 21 years ago. 21 years ago now. The world seems so different. I mean, American conventions were a thing then. American conventions and being in the 80s, you know. Yeah. J- J&T famously would get in trouble for going to too many of them. Pat Patrick Troughton died at Vision's he, 86, he, 86 or 87. He 87. certainly did. And, you know, I think, could you still do this kind of thing today? And I think, no, but then I think, but hang on, the American experience was already taking over by then. Are we, are we a different country that we could still maybe get people in like that, but... There's just no motivation amongst the younger fans. I don't mean to cast aspersions. But I think the dollars make it hard. Right. Uh, I think that there is a cultural difference between generations of actors in that somebody like a Nicholas Courtney, who, who came out for a Sydney convention, I, I, I sadly didn't get to go to that one, uh, or, or a Nicola Bryant or a Colin Baker, would sit there and go, you know, in, in their, not, I don't say this disparagingly, but in semi-retirement. Hmm. You know, Colin wasn't getting regular work at that stage, a big finish might have just been starting to be a thing, but it yeah. certainly wasn't the, 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 what it would become. So for Colin to be told, hey, free trip to Sydney? Yeah, okay, I'll do that and I'll reduce my fee. Yeah. If you turn around to somebody like a Christopher Eccleston, a David Tennant, a Matt Smith, Billy Piper, etc., etc., who are not only in work but in demand, mm. and say, well, you take a week off to fly to Australia to do a convention, oh, and by the way, will you do it for free? Yeah. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. These are people who can command serious fees because if they don't work for a week, they're turning down a serious fee. Mm. You know, they can be making a movie, making a TV show. They've got to find a gap in their schedule. So I don't begrudge it to them at all. There will be a time in their careers where they have got more of time and more availability, yeah. and I think we'll see that. But to get uh, a classic era person out, I, I mean, who, who do you get now? Mm-hmm. Because you know a number of the doctors and companions have sadly passed away, or are too you know too old to travel. You know, 
Tom Baker is not going to make a 24-hour flight to Australia. No. And, and let alone back again. I mean, that's, that's just reality. Annika Wills, who I did see when she came out to Sydney in 2000, I think, has said, I'd love to go to Australia again, but I'm, I'm too old. I'm not, I'm not doing that commute. Yeah. A few years back, the, the Australian fan club was going to get William Russell. And I thought, gosh, he's old. Yeah. He's, like, he was in his 90s then, I think. Yeah, yeah. And in the end, he didn't end up coming. I thought, well, that's no bloody surprise. Mm. You know, I, I thought that was tenuous at best. But I think I recently saw he's off to an American convention. Oh, wow. What a man. Which is incredible. Um, it's obviously not as far to go as it is to, uh, to come to Australia, but, you know. Yeah, so if you want to get a classic person, you, you're really looking at, um, you know, Dave O'Connor and McCoy. Yeah, yep. they're good. Or, or a companion. So you can't get... Um, say Sarah Sutton and base a whole weekend con around her. No. There, there isn't the there isn't the number of fans anymore to do that. So what you need is a company that says, okay, I will get Sarah Sutton and Matthew Waterhouse and Janet Fielding and Peter Davison, and I will do three conventions in three cities, and I'll amortise the cost of all of it across all of those events, mm. so that you can make the money worthwhile. And you yeah. need to be a professional company to do that absolutely um or you do it in the other thing we see which is with the comic cons and the supernovas where you say i'll get a doctor who actor and i'll get a buffy actor and i'll get a movie star and i'll get somebody from anime and i'll get someone from game of thrones you know 20 people and you then do something that will attract 500 people to the door yeah that's the only way you can do it um we have had you know matt smith do a convention here in australia in australia and we're certainly in melbourne um, but the entry cost was like phenomenal. Yeah, I saw and, that. And for that, you get him on stage for forty-five minutes, and you then pay an extra fee and you get an autograph and an extra fee on that and you get a photo. Mm. And so, that's the level we are at now. And, and you know, I think they're sadly missing. Um, one of these events, uh, Richard and I were sort of back in fandom at this stage, and we did say, "Look, we'll do your panels for you. We'll do your entertainment for you." And and he took us up on that. So when the guests weren't on stage and they're off doing autographs or photographs, we were on stage doing, let's show you clips of our favourite cliffhangers. Mm. Let's talk about, you know, um, regenerations or something. And, yeah. and, and, and we got a really good response from fans, yeah. particularly because a lot of these people weren't people who were actually in fandom. And so when we say, here's, you know, here's our favourite cliffhanger, you show something from 1971, they're like, I remember that. Yeah. You know, or we, we, we finished it with our, um, our 10 silliest cliffhangers. Um, and our final one, our number one spot was uh, episode one of The Horns of Nymon, where, where the Doctor sees the asteroid and does the, K-9, it's coming straight for us, and grabs K-9 and hugs him. And, <laughs> and everyone just laughs. There's people going, oh, I, I forgot that. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah, look, I went to another couple of cons in 2000, went up by train. Uh, 2001, we all went up, which I think was the Colin Baker, Annika Wills con. Uh, by that stage, we're all earning just enough that with a you know summer special flight, we could fly to Sydney. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> and that was a huge deal. Like, wow, we're flying to Sydney for a con. Um, yeah, and but yeah, you know, we shared hotel rooms and yeah. ha- had a great graduate amount of time. And that's that's after that when I started to drift away from fan. And like like you, yeah. um, I was now going to university. I was meeting new friends. And Doctor Who by two thousand and one, it was dead. Mm. We were five years from the telly movie, and we were four years away from the new series, and two or three years, therefore, from even those first rumours that Russell T Davies wanted to make it. Yeah. And the NAs had ended, your beloved NAs. Yes, yes. I was reading the EDAs by this time. I was sort of coming back, not quite to fandom, but coming back to Doctor Who, I was reading the EDAs. 
Yeah, but, but a lot of people weren't by that stage. No. It was really the diehards hanging on. Big Finish was growing a, a following. Yeah. Uh, but again, here in Australia, you encountered that postage issue. Mm-hmm. So unlike the books, which at least would be reprinted and published in Australia by a distributor, yeah. so you could get them for a reasonable price. Delayed, but you could get them. Big Finish only came out in the UK. Yeah. So you had to ship them from the UK, and you basically doubled the cost. Yeah. So you go from, okay, you know, 20 bucks for a story, not too bad, to like 30 bucks for a story. That's where it starts to become, you know, 30 bucks a month for a, a CD. Mm. Don't know about that. Um, so it, 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 it was tough. Yeah, it certainly was. So that almost takes us up to the show returning. I've, I've spoken for a while, Rob. Mm. Tell me about you seeing the new Doctor Who for the first time. What, what's your Rose story? My Rose story, Dave, is different to to yours because I heard a bit of yours earlier at, at, at lunch. So I made friends possibly on an internet forum. It may have been the precursor to Gallifrey Base. What was that called? Do you remember? Gallifrey Base before it was called something else. Gallifrey 1? Gallifrey 1. Yeah, it might have been that. I made friends with someone in the UK um, and I was just talking about how in Australia we wouldn't see it for a long time and this person very kindly offered to record the stories for me onto um, DVD-Rs and send them to me. Yeah, this is... I don't know if this kind of thing would happen today. I'm sure there are nice fans out there but this was a very special sort of time where everyone was excited about the show coming back and this person wanted to do something for an Australian fan they'd never met, had no background with and said I'll, I'll send you those on uh, on DVDR. I have a recorder and lo and behold probably about a week and a half after Rose aired in the UK uh, a DVDR came in and it wasn't just Rose but it was like a documentary that aired before Rose oh wow which was really good and I have not seen since I don't think it's on the box set um, of Eccleston's first series and I wish I could find that DVD-R now yeah. because I've not seen it anywhere else. I've looked for it on YouTube. Um, it was really good. Anyway, that's how I saw Rose. I saw it through a disc sent to me in the mail. What did I think? There were parts of it I wasn't sure about. There were parts of it I thought were a bit childish, like the, the wheelie bin scenes and, mm. and, and some of the more comical scenes with Mickey. But there was enough in it particularly Eccleston saying, you know, I can feel the turn of the earth and all that sort of stuff, for me to think, wow, this guy I haven't been too sure about because I'd seen publicity photos, I'd seen the leather jacket and the shaved head and all of that, and I thought, he just looks like a car thief. (laughs) He he doesn't look like the doctor at all. This, ooh, I'm really not sure about it. And Billy Piper... You know, she's the because we want to, because we want to. What was that pop song she had? It was it was just some repetitive nonsense. I thought this is this is going to be bloody awful, and I was so happy that it wasn't. And although it wasn't a perfect story, even then I didn't think it was perfect. I thought this has legs. I'm actually quite excited with how this doctor could be. I'm really looking forward to this next disc coming through the post. You're right about that context in that I didn't believe this show was coming back. Like, literally, again, until they cast Christopher Eccleston, mm. I was very dismissive of the rumours. You know, I've heard it all before. Yeah. And then they cast Christopher Eccleston, who uh, the bunch of us, it's the same friendship group that we're all Doctor Who fans, you know, would get together at each other's houses every now and then. We'll go out for, you know, go out for a steak dinner or whatever and go back and watch DVDs at somebody's house. And recently somebody put on a copy of Shallow Grave. 
which is a really messed up, disturbing movie to watch with your mates at midnight. Right. You know, because <laughs> um, you know, it's it's all about the people freak. It's got him, it's got Ewan McGregor and someone else. Um, and it's about them accidentally killing a guy and then oh. what do they do with the body? It's really weird. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it's like, hey, that really messed up dude from Shallow Grave is in it. <laughs> okay, I get that. Then, and Billy Pipe is the companion. Who? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think it was only because one of us... Um, one of the one of the gang you know was dating someone who he's now married to, and she said, "Oh, I know her. She's a pop singer." <laughs> like, but I guess we were kind of fortunate in that sense, and that unlike the UK, where I think she was much more of a household name. Yes. She, so they go, "Oh my God!" We're just like, "Who?" Mm. So we didn't have the negative connotations coming in. Again, we're still in this era though, when when the series was coming to come out, where the ABC hasn't even scheduled viewings. No. And as it turned out, they were pretty good. It was about a four month delay from memory between the UK and the Australian releases. We didn't know that at the time. And torrenting was just starting to become a thing, illegal torrenting, like mm-hmm. uh, way before the Pirate Bay. Yeah. Um, but that sort of stuff was coming in. I can remember the first show I ever illegally downloaded, well, the first two shows were Buffy and Roswell. Wow. The last two seasons of those, there was a website where literally they had every segment. So they had about six segments for each episode, yep. breaking them up by ad breaks that were about five meg each. Wow. And you just and it wasn't even torrented. You had to go and download that file, watch that five minutes ad break, download the next file, watch six or seven minutes ad break. That's what we were doing. So Buffy and, and Rosal were the first two shows that I remember doing that for. And it would have taken a while to download five meg on Oh, dial-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a commitment. You had to find everything. <laughs> One of the guys in our group, a guy by the name of Dave, um, sometimes known as Mad Dog, uh, worked for... <laughs> Should I ask? No, don't. <laughs> um, he worked for the local big telco in Australia. Mm. So he actually had, like, cutting edge at the time, I think it was ADSL or something, or it's a cable of some sort, for very cheap prices because he worked for the company. And he basically heard on some internet forum that there was an illegal copy that was available of of Rose, like a a leaked copy. And he quickly found it before it disappeared and was able to download it relatively quickly. And he sent out a text to all of our, all of us. Now, for Babylon Five fans, you'll get the reference because the text started a code seven R, right? <laughs> which is in Babylon Five code for urgent meeting. That's it. So yeah, we code seven R. I have a copy of the first episode. My place two p.m. Yeah. Um, now I was way at the other side of the city at that stage, so I couldn't be there for two p.m. I said, no, I will be there. Um, I'll be there. and I got there about three thirty. They'd already watched it. Yeah. They said, don't worry, we're going to watch it again. And uh, a couple of them turned to me and said, look. There's two bits you will hate. They're the only two bits that's actually really, really good. Enjoy it, and, and they were right. Like it was, it was um, uh, the Willie Bean joke and like the Mickey thing, mm. which yeah, you still watch them and go, that's a bit naff. But yeah, you know, again, just fans watching New Doctor Who for the time. Uh, one of my abiding memories, and it's such a prescient call given what we saw of the uh, the approach of RTD was uh, Rob again, formerly Forty to the Doomsday, was in the room. And when we got to the bit where the doctor said, I've got the solution, so, um, anti-plastic, Rob said, hello, plot device. <laughs> <laughs> and given how many more of RTD's stories over the next years we're in with, I've got this DSS back in it that will just fix the problem. Yeah. <laughs> it still stands out as this really fresh and bit of thing. And, um, yeah, at that stage I was um, sharing an apartment with another Doctor Who fan from, mm-hmm. from that committee time. So, again, I can remember when End of the World was aired in the UK, so it would go out Friday night. So on Sunday morning in Australia time, I can remember us waking up, sitting there in our dressing gowns as End of the World downloaded via a torrent site, and then at like 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning watching this new episode. Oh, wow. um, Dalek was one where we said, okay, everyone, we're going to get together and we're going to watch Dalek as a group. 
And so again, you know, we're sitting there on a Sunday morning waiting for this file to download. <laughs> you know, it took a couple of hours. Yeah, yeah. And 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 you know, so we could all get together and watch Dalek. Uh, the probably the biggest thing that really crystallizes for me uh, how big a deal it was and how excited we were is the cliffhanger at the end of uh, Bad Wolf mm. where you get there they have the big thing the Daleks are revealed and I, I, again I can remember not knowing anything about this episode where you'd see these these circle shapes on the walls and go that's very Dalek-ish and then you'd have that bop 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 yes. like, that's a Dalek noise yes. you know <laughs> the Daleks are coming back you know wow and, and I think it had that didn't have that line like um how did they survive? And there was like, they survived through me. Yes, that was that was in the, the next time trailer. Yeah. And for a week, we were obsessed yeah. with who said they survived through me. Was it Davros? Was it Davros? Was it Adam? Was Adam Davros? Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, was it an emperor? Darling? What, you know, what was it? Um, and even some, some funny, hysterical and terrible bastard <laughs> went on to IMDb and on the entry listing for the next episode put down Davros as played by Norman Lovett <laughs> <laughs> so suddenly like, hey, it says on here Norman Lovett's playing Davros yeah, Holly is Davros Holly from Red Dwarf yeah but but not until in my view um, the end of t- World Enough and Time mm. have I seen my friends and indeed myself be as excited by a Doctor Who cliffhanger as we were by the end of Bad Wolf and the Daleks are back and they survive through me what's going on yeah amazing times yeah and, and, and even after we saw the next episode the next time for that episode I remember being so excited by you know I think I can remember it's, it's got John Barrowman says we're at war and the TARDIS is flying towards the Dalek fleet there's a missile flying yeah, towards yeah, yeah. the TARDIS it's like holy hell this show is amazing yeah, um, the, the, the video of, um, of um, the Doctor you know if you're seeing this it means I'm dead yes you know what, what, what you know because um, at that stage we knew Eccleston was gone we did but it still was just it was still incredibly powerful to know that even knowing the regen was coming like we didn't know how a new series was going to do a regen mm-hmm. and I mean that's a wonderful regeneration yeah know? Uh, you know, I, I, I still remember and I still get the chills. Mm. You know, and you know what? You know, so was it. You were fantastic. Yeah. You know what? So was I. Yeah. Like, wonderful stuff. And yeah, we, we, we were so excited. Yeah, we were. And since then, I think fandoms come back in, in a different way to the old days. We, we've got a lot of younger Doctor Who fans and I think way more female fans than we ever had. Yeah, that's been a really big change. So there's two things that I think have changed. Uh, one is that the professional fandom has taken over. Yes. And I get that. That's that's purely a case of dollars. I think it's sad. But, you know, you now do get these conventions where, okay, you get Davison and Colin and McCoy and Fielding and McGann and Nicholas Briggs mm. or whatever in a room for one day. They each get 40 minutes to talk and do Q&A. And you get however many autographs and photos you buy. Yeah. In some ways, that's good because there's a lot of doctors and companions that I I've seen that I wouldn't have seen if a company wasn't taking on that expense and doing mm. it. And as I say, you know, amortizing that over doing three or four events across the country. Yeah. It's the only way you can do it. I do think that it loses a lot of heart and soul. Yes. At the same time, uh, the fan clubs have had to have a real transition. And that brings me to, I guess, my last real involvement in local fandom. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so coming up to the 15th anniversary, so in early 2012, uh, my friend Richard, who had gone to sell a few items at a Doctor Who club meeting, because there would always be tables at the back where you could come and sell some of your collection. Yeah. Whatever, and he, 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 was, he was ditching a few bits and pieces and he came to sell it. And he saw they were kind of in a bit of a desperate state and they were desperate for somebody to basically do the books. And he, he's worked in the finance sector for a long time. He's, he's very good at that, very organised guy. And he said, look, I'm not going to do anything else, but I'll do your books. Mm-hmm. Then he sort of realised just how, how poor a shape the club was in, in that it was being run by people who were really dedicated fans. But a lot of them were like high school kids, unis kids, yeah. people who'd never actually had to manage a book. Yes. You know, yeah. book a venue, do... do you know, they, they just didn't know how to do a balance sheet. And, and, and as loving and as much as you can do in fandom from the heart, if you can't like make the dollars equal each other, you can't run a club. Yeah. That's just a reality. And the membership was going off because they didn't have someone to do the newsletter or a fanzine or anything, so you weren't getting value for money. And they were kind of at this point where there was literally no money in the bank account, and the membership was at that point where it kind of was no longer financially viable to have a club. Mm. Richard got in touch with me and he said, look, mate, in, in his view, and I totally agreed, the come the next AGM, Club AGM, the 50th anniversary will be 18 months away. Mm-hmm. It would be a disaster and really sad if the show gets to 50 years and our fan club doesn't. Yeah. Like, our fan club's not there. So he said, why don't the two of us agree to take it on? Um, in the end, we split it. I took on the presidency. He became treasurer and secretary. A couple of others joined us. He said, we'll take it on and we'll say to the club openly, we're going to do this for 18 months. We're going to do a big reform thing. If at the end of that we've recruited new fans who want to take it on, we will pass the torch. If we've done all this stuff, we haven't improved it, we'll have a big party, celebrate the 50th anniversary, shake hands and lock the club down. Move on. And it was really good. A lot of our old friends came out and they said, look, we won't go on the committee, but we'll write an article for your fans in for you. We'll help you do the newsletter. Uh, we'll come along and do some panels with you. Mm-hmm. And so we, we did get it back involved. We redid the website. We did we did the membership. We went to cons and set up tables and said, hey, come and join our Doctor Who club. And suddenly the membership started to grow and people were doing panels. Was there, was there any competition, you know, when you put up this ticket? Was there other people who wanted to have a crack as well? No, literally, though, people were like, no, no, we're, we're just kind of keeping this thing afloat. If you've got a vision, please, wow. please take it on. Wow. Um, so there was no, nothing like that at all. Um, so and, and yeah, we, we so we took it on uh, across 2013. We divided. I think we had eight meetings, mm-hmm. and we divided the series into a number of segments and had a meeting dedicated to each one. So I think we had the 60s, the Pertwee era, uh, the first two thirds of Tom, JNT Part One, JNT Part Two, Wilderness Years new series, yeah. and then we had the anniversary meeting. This was a mistake because it meant if you're a big new series fan, you need to wait seven meetings to get your story yeah. or if you're a Pertwee fan well after March what is there for you yeah. so in, in hindsight that was a mistake it got worse and this is a terribly wonderful serendipitous story mm-hmm. the weekend before our new series meeting was scheduled they announced that they'd found the web of fear and the enemy of the world <laughs> which dropped in Australia on the Friday before the meeting right so we got there and we said look there's a lot of new series content we produced for this meeting and that other fans who were, who were new fans who come into the club and we were encouraging come and come you know, come and do stuff about the new series you know yeah. do stuff look we're going to show the web of fear, fear part 4 for those of you who haven't, aren't able to download it yet so we'll show that <laughs> not quite kosher but it's okay it's five <laughs> years ago now we're going to show that uh, then we're going to do a couple of panels. If you then want to cut the panels and watch more of The Web of Fear, 
we will show more. Mm. And a couple of the new series people were like, we've waited all year to talk about the new series, <laughs> and you would have put on this black and white thing? Yeah. Two-thirds of the audience, were not, including some of the new series fans, were like, no, 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 we're with fear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it worked out really badly for these new series oh. fans, and, and I really regret that. If I had that year again, yeah. we would space out more new series stuff across it. But we were getting them in, and, and they were there. And what it meant was that when we sort of said, right, we're, we're three or four months from the end of our 18-month promise do people want to take this on there were enough people in the club uh, including uh, women younger people who just come out of the woodwork and were there who wanted to take it on and it is now a very successful club Yeah, they run events that we couldn't run because we're crusty old fans from 20 years ago well this is what I was getting at with, with do you think these fans are, are different now you know are they into sort of different things do they treat fandom in a different way they're a lot more confident in right. their love of the series uh and I think you see that from the dressing up and the, the, the acting and all the rest of that. I can remember going way, way back when I was still in fandom, there would be a costume event, mm. but it's literally people went away, put on their costumes, did the, did the contest, and then took them off again. Or if you were really brave, mm. then the, 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 dare, the standing dare for many years was to wear your costume down to the local Maccas, you know, order a burger and fries and walk back. So if you could walk into Maccas dressed as Patrick Troughton or Simon or Leela, then you were hardcore. You compare that to today where fans just happily dress in costume, you know, and they'll go to, they'll go to whole conventions. They'll catch public transport in dressed as... Matt Smith or Captain Jack or an angel or something. Some people don't even need an event. Sometimes you see people just walking around the yeah. city because they're having a photo shoot with their friend. They're getting photos taken of yeah. them in costume somewhere. It's, it's in a wonderful, marvellous confidence that isn't, it doesn't resonate with me at all. Mm. But it is, a, it is a deeper level of the show. And I guess you can have that because with the new series and old episodes so accessible now... And with the ability to debate other fans over Twitter and, and, and Facebook and forums and podcasts so accessible, you don't need a club to do that. No. Like for us, just seeing the new episode or just seeing an old episode was enough justification for turning up. Yeah. They don't need that. So they can go deeper. Yes. And, and I think it's deeper than any of us have ever really dived. Mm. Yeah, in, in, in a particular way, yes. Yeah, so I, I really see that, that anniversary period as being that point of uh, a generation of local fandom handing over, get, getting, the, getting, getting fandom back into a nice state mm-hmm. to hand it over to the next generation and go, it's yours to play with now. Yeah. And we can go away and we can do our podcasts and talk about how much we love the Hartnell era and the Davison era mm-hmm. and all the rest of that. And, and we can find an audience globally. Yes. So if there's somebody in Michigan who likes our podcast, they can listen in Michigan yeah. or New Zealand or Perth or Exeter or Manchester mm. or Timbuktu. <laughs> yeah, they don't need, we don't need to be in the same room. Yeah. Let's face it, Rob, today is the first time we've been in the same room. That's right. And we've been co-hosting a podcast for a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah. And the world hasn't ended. Exactly. That's great. So, <laughs> there's no Blumovich no, no limitation effect. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and that's the thing. There are podcasts now, if you want a podcast that just comes out every week and says, oh my God, the new series, that is so cool. And when the Doctor Regenerated, I cried so much. <laughs> that podcast exists. Yeah, if, if well, it, usually a video, usually a vodcast, actually. Yeah, that sort or a of vodcast, stuff. yeah. That exists. If you, want, if you want one that's more cynical, that exists. Mm. If you want one that just does live commentaries of episodes, that exists. Yeah. 
if you want something that just comes in every week and talks about how uh, Doctor Who is proof that the Nazis need to come back, that Twitter feed exists. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, sadly, it, yes. It, it's sad, <laughs> there is there is every possible way to do this. So every podcast can go out and find an audience. Mm. Every bulletin board can go out and find an audience. So you need to say what is the purpose of a fan club where you physically got to be sort of you know within a metropolitan area of each other what's the purpose in that existing and it needs to be to go that extra depth yeah. you know to get there and 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 do you know the the dress up and the act out and the celebration mm. uh, and it's it is a new generation thing yeah and it's wonderful yeah it's it's you know I'm I'm, I'm like Grandpa Simpson, you know. I used to be what was it, then they changed what's it, and it now scares me. That's I was waiting okay. for the Simpsons reference. Yeah, that's okay. Like, we do our thing, they do their thing. And I, but I love the fact that we were able to hand it over to them. Yeah. And, and, and I think, yes, they are a different kind of fan. I, I think about how podcasts that we do here, that we're involved with, with other people uh, that we know of, that we listen to, None of them seem to be linked too heavily into fandom these days. The kind of people mm. who are going to these meetings and dressing up and acting out and all of that stuff that we've just been talking about and doing wonderful things and being very excited. And then celebrating the show. Yeah, they're not podcast listeners. They, they're not listening to us. No. It's, it's, it's a whole new kind of fan. And, and, I'm, you know, and I've noticed that as I've thought about dipping my toe back in. I rejoined the Australian Doctor Who fan club before the 50th. Um, and I let that lapse after a year or two because I thought, this just isn't me. You know, I'd see the events they were doing and such, and it was just it was just a, a little removed from where I'm at. And I thought, yeah. it's not for me. However, the podcast and talking to the people who listen to our podcast and, you know, talking to the new to Who boys who were here in the room with us earlier and were about to go and meet the flight through entirety guys and all of this, that's me. Yes. You know, and that's you. Yeah, and... I am probably more invested in the show than I was for many years because, you know, every day there is either I'm planning or editing or making a podcast Mm -hmm. or I'm conversing with someone on Twitter or someone on Facebook, whether it's yourself, Rob, or many of our other friends that are out there, many of the people that listen to our Twitter feed, Mm. uh, you know, Facebook comments. Rarely a day goes by now where there isn't some interaction with another fan in some form. Yeah, which is actually a kind of incredible thing to think about. It is, it is. It's just it's just a wee bit different from where organised fandom is at these days. It is, but there is also this ability to listen to a podcast like New to Who. Uh, I'll explain later. Crinoid, uh, Flight Through Entirety, definitely. Mm-hmm. Who approach a story that I've thought one way about for thirty years. And suddenly they go, think about this story another way. Mm. And you go, wow. Yeah. That's really good. And then if you're really inspired by it, to go and tweet them and say, that point you made about the Happiness Patrol, I never thought of that before. Well done. Mm. Or that point you made about Terror of the Autons, I totally disagree and here's why. Yeah. And they can come back and go, well, okay, let me explain my thing in, in let me explain my point in more detail and suddenly you're having another interaction yes. and sometimes these people then go and send you a private message and suddenly you're Facebook friends and <laughs> the next thing you know you're in a pub in London meeting them yeah exactly exactly 
And I think you've had some experience of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've been to the UK now and met other podcasters. Mm. We're here in Sydney meeting other podcasters. Yeah. That is more than ever would have happened in the fan club days. Exactly. Exactly. And if I went to a fan club meeting this weekend, I, I'd probably sit on my own in the corner and, you know, watch people having fun. But... They're, yeah. not, they're not my people. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm, I'm just too old. And that's the thing. When a show has now got fans that literally... Like like my dad hmm. is a Doctor Who fan. He has been a Doctor Who fan now for 54 and a half years. Yeah. I've been a Doctor Who fan effectively for 30-something years as have you. Yeah. And somebody who's been a fan for 10 years, 5 years, 1 year. Hmm. That's a very diverse range of people. What my dad wants out of Doctor Who fandom is completely different to a 15-year-old or a 13-year-old yeah. or a 10-year-old yeah. who has just discovered Doctor Who for the first time. Yeah, but they're no less of a fan. Oh, absolutely not. But fandom is now able to cater to all that. Yes. Um, and that brings me to perhaps my, my, my final um, anecdote that I want to tell, and it's a personal one, is just how much I enjoyed the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who because there was so much for everybody. If you're a new series fan, there was new, a whole lot, lot of new stuff. There were all those st- snippets. There was you know Strax doing stuff and yeah. videos and stuff like that. It was wonderful. But for fans like us, we got the Web of Fury and Enemy of the World back. Uh, we got the Paul McGann mini, mini episode. Mm. We got Richard Marsden's fantastic book about the John Nathan Turner era. Oh, hell yes. Which, you know, I've now reread that from cover to cover three times. I've got two copies. I've got both editions. And, and again, for many of us who've been in fandom for a long time, this was answering questions we'd had for 20 or 30 years. Yeah. So it was really good. We got an adventure in space and time. Mm-hmm. And I can remember watching that and just going, you know what? No matter what happens in the future, I've got this series, this classic series that I love, a new series that I, I enjoy and appreciate a lot. I've got this all. Yeah. Uh, but what really sticks out in my memory is being able to ring my dad and say, hey, I've got a copy of The Web of Fear on my computer do you wow. want me to come around after work and watch it together yeah and just sitting with him and he was 15 again yeah he, he's sitting there going oh, that's right I remember this bit oh, that's... <laughs> and that was a really wonderful thing for, you. for the guy who first you know introduced me to Doctor Who took me to my first club meeting bought me my first novel yeah. you know, gave me the technical manual for my birthday gave me uh, a Peter Haining book for Christmas yes to be able to go back to him and go let me show you uh, a piece of television you haven't seen since you were 15. Yeah. That was a really big deal for me. That's magic. That's magic. And I can't top that, so we'll probably end on that. <laughs> because that that's just beautiful. It's magical. Yeah, look, it, it is wonderful. There are friends that I've had in Doctor Who fandom since I was 13. Yeah. You know, Richard, I met Richard when I was 13. And we've been mates, uh, not so much when I was 13, 14, but once I was about 16 and could function, you know, converse as an adult... We've been mates since then. I gave a, you know I gave a reading at his wedding. Yeah, and that's that's the level that, you know we're at now. We're going to each other's weddings. Yeah, yeah. And there are people from that local fan club I joined all those years ago. That chap who came up to me, Mark. I still know Mark. He lives in London, yep. so, so I don't get to see him. But he's on Facebook, and we still know each other and, and wow. stuff. We're still in touch. You know, um, other members from that club I'm still in touch with as well. You know, it's. At that age, I think you sometimes make friends who stick around for a long time. You make a lot of friends at that age, and you know, I guess it's by um, it's just natural that some of them are still around. But yeah, I've still got friends from that era, which I guess goes to prove that Tom Baker at the end of Genesis of the Daleks was right. Yes, fandom can sometimes be very nasty, 
violent, evil, wicked sort of place. But out of it all, I'm pretty sure will come something good. <laughs> and on that note, I think we'll end. See ya. See you later. <laughs> well, Rob, I said that they were our memories and they were our very personal opinions, and I think we've lived up to, to that description. I think so. Completely unscripted, completely unplanned. There it is. The contents of our minds. We hope you've enjoyed that. If you have, and particularly if you shared some of those memories or you have other memories of your own from that period to talk about again please do write into us please do share them with us on social media we'd love to hear from you you know when you've been in fandom for literally 30 years you you are able to look back and of course coming up in two weeks time remember our flagship show returns uh series three episode three for the year gosh the year's flying by classic monsters new who brought back if you have any thoughts on that do get in touch with us that's right, and we'll have some other specials out during the year, but yeah, we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. See you then.